Marty was a preacher, and he served uh, in a role uh, within a group, uh, we'll call it a denomination, whereas he began to study the Scripture, Marty didn't quite agree with everything he saw in the Word of God. Um, so, in response to that, Marty wrote down some of the things that he disagreed with and made a, a list, took them to the church where he was the minister, and he nailed them to the door of the church. Obviously, I'm speaking of Martin Luther. The year was 1517, and it was October the 31st. On the door of the Castle Church in Wittenberg, Germany, he nailed his 95 theses. And at the crux of what was the issue was as he saw um, among his people, the Roman Catholic Church, he saw an abuse in many different veins, in many different ways, but he declared war against the idea that salvation was mitigated or brought about, mediated through a priesthood that ministered or gave out sacraments. Among other things, he saw the abuse of uh, what were called indulgences, basically where you could buy sin, pay for sin uh, with, with money that was used then for whatever the papal office so decided. Of his 95 theses, two of which are uh, translated and uh, transliterated, I guess, into English or simple, understandable English. Theses number 36 and 37. He says, Every truly contrite Christian has remission from punishment and guilt due to him, even without letters of pardon. Every true Christian, whether living or dead, has a share given to him by God in all the benefits of Christ and the church, even without letters of pardon. What he saw were abuses, in essence, to the priesthood of the believer. He saw the issue of uh, these uh, priests, the papacy, using themselves as the intermediary between God and men. But then when he read in the scripture that it said there is only one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, he could not reconcile that and that led to his we use the term war, but that led to his declaring. He wanted a discussion. He wanted some answers. He wasn't trying to protest uh, imminently, uh, vehemently at the moment, but it did lead to what we rejoice about, a reformation that today returns us to the Word of God, and in particular, the gospel of Christ alone, by faith alone, Grace alone, and the Scripture alone reveals that. And so Peter understood 
Uh, long before Martin Luther or us, Peter declares what we are in Christ Jesus. I want to call your attention to 1 Peter chapter 2. And let's just begin reading at verse 4. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 4. Coming to Him as to a living stone. He's describing the Lord Jesus as a living stone. Rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore it is also contained in the scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, He who believes on Him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, He is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal generation priesthood, a holy nation, His own special or peculiar people, that you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light, who once were not a people but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy but now have obtained mercy. What a powerful passage of Scripture to remind us of our view of ourselves from God's viewpoint. How does God describe us? Well, just quickly looking at these uh, verses, we are living stones. Uh, That modifies the Lord Jesus Christ. uh, When verse 5 speaks of us as living stones, it's pointing back to verse 4 where it says, Jesus is the living stone. And so we're lively little pebbles Parts of the stone, parts of the rock. What's he do with that? Look at verse 5. We're being built up a spiritual house. Peter was writing to Jewish Christians that had been scattered because of persecution. And he's using some, the Spirit of God is moving him to use imagery, pictures if you will, that they would relate to as Jewish believers, they would have an understanding of the Old Testament temple, the Old Testament rituals, the Old Testament sacrifices. And so he says, you as living stones are being built up into a spiritual house. One stone does not make a house. He's talking about a community of faith, the body of believers. Some of these birds that run around today and cackle that they they can worship God in the uh, woods during deer season or they can can somehow or another worship God alone out on the lake are being disingenuous. If anything, they're being unbiblical because the Bible describes us as being in a place where we are a part of of something. What? 
the spiritual house. And there's something about the priesthood of the believer that's often not addressed that we function in this capacity. I'm getting way ahead of myself, but I need to say it right here at this point. We're getting, uh, we function in this capacity foremost and greatly when we're together as that spiritual house, locally expressed, the body of believers. Folks, the church, the local church is where it's at. I know it's bad grammar, but it's where we are to be. And I don't know what coronavirus and pandemic and all of that's doing to some people's commitment to the local church, but my urgent prayer is that we get back to where it ought to be in our relationship to that. Please don't use this thing as some excuse to be unfaithful to the Lord's church. If you are a living stone, then believer priest, you come and be a part of the community of faith. He says, we are a spiritual house, a living temple. This emphasizes community. It's not the focus of this message, but but boy, it's important. Many have a, their view is first and foremost an individualistic view of Christianity. We we got a bunch of Lone Ranger Christians running around with their masks and thinking, I can, I can please the Lord just off out here to myself and such. God help us. We're a living temple. That's what we are. And, and look, what else? In the capacity as a spiritual house, we are a holy priesthood. Now, there's function beyond our community of faith for the priesthood as well. But he's using imagery. And so he's mentioned this living temple, this spiritual house. Remember, in the Old Testament, God had a temple for His people. Post-Calvary, God now has a people for His temple. So don't, don't get confused on that. We don't go to a place in order to worship. We gather because we are the place, the people that make up the temple. And, and, and how does He describe it? A holy priesthood. Holy, that's the character. That's what we're to be. How are you holy? Is it because some person somewhere waved a wag or uh, sprinkled you with a little water or something and said, you're holy? No, you are made holy through Jesus Christ. Same word that describes the righteousness of Christ. A holy priesthood. Now, When you use that Old Testament imagery, and I'm sure that, I know that's what Peter is is showing here. That in the Old Testament, these, the temple and these priests had a responsibility and did certain things in service to God. All for a purpose pointing to Calvary and now there's no need for them. Rather, the church has become the spiritual house. The body of believers has become the spiritual house, the living temple. And we serve, we that are the living stones, a part of that, serve in the priesthood. Did you know you were a priest? If you're a child of God, yes you are. No collar or clothes, no church, no body, no board makes you a priest. The Lord Jesus Christ, you share in His priesthood. He's our great high priest. 
but we share in His priesthood. Let me give you a doctrine, uh, excuse me, a definition of this doctrine of the priesthood of all believers. It's simply that all believers in Christ, and those are the only believers we're talking about, all believers in Christ share in His priestly status. Therefore, there is no special class of people who mediate knowledge or presence or forgiveness of Christ to the rest of believers. No one does that. All believers have the right and authority to read the Word of God, to interpret the Word of God rightly. And and again, one danger is that some folks think the priest of the believer means they can read the Bible and come up with whatever they want. We rightly divide the Word of truth. It doesn't give you the right to come up with some bird-brained interpretation and say, this is what, you know, I'm my own priest. That was the movement that took place among Baptists not too many years ago. As some wanted to say, the scripture could say what, you know, uh, what I see it saying, and therefore that makes it well, because I'm my own priest. Soul competency was the word and and such. While every soul is competent before God and answers to Him alone, but it doesn't give you the right to twist the scripture. The priesthood of the believer that we have the right and authority to read, interpret, and apply the teachings of Scripture. So that's your job as a believer priest. We are the the people of God. Verse 5 of 1 Peter says we're spiritual people. He describes those spiritual people as uh, earlier in the chapter, they're babes being fed. Verse 2, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the Word that you may grow thereby. We we are, are spiritual people in that we... Uh, um, um, we, we're stones in this living house. We're spiritual people in that we are priests who have a, a role, and we're talking of that role now, the role, but they also have responsibilities, and we'll move to that in just a moment. A holy priesthood, here's the responsibility to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Many of us, Read after Charles Spurgeon and, and enjoy his, his reading. He's not infallible, but he does say some uh, wonderful things when it comes to the priesthood of the believer. He says, we are a holy priesthood if we are in Christ. Uh, we believe in Him and we are transformed by the incorruptible blood and the incorruptible seed. He has brought you into a heavenly priesthood and you are today to stand at the spiritual altar and offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Welcome to the priesthood. Do you carry out your functions as well in this responsibility? Christians have a spiritual priesthood in that every Christian without exception is his own priest before God. His own uh, direct access before God. Your own way to God is through Jesus Christ, our high priest. He's our intermediary. Through Him, we don't need someone else on earth, a man, a woman, or whatever, um, to be the bridge builder. We have the Lord Jesus Christ. The believer priest goes directly to the Father through Christ. Through Christ. This doctrine, this teaching is affirmed 
in the Scripture. We've read two verses here in 1 Peter chapter 2 that uh, affirm that very clearly. Let's turn to Revelation chapter 1 before we go back to finish in 1 Peter. Revelation chapter 1 verse 6 affirms the priesthood of the believer. Revelation 1 and verse 6 says, And that He has made us kings and priests, to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. He has made us to be kings and priests out of the order of Melchizedek. In the Old Testament, the priests were forbidden to be in a dual role, but there was Melchizedek. And the Lord Jesus was described as a priest in the order of Melchizedek. So we share in his priestly status. As believer priests, Revelation 5, verse 10. Revelation 5, verse 10. What a, uh, in the midst of this glorious song that will be sung in heaven, and worthy is the Lamb. Uh, verse 9, they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests. To our God. And we shall reign on the earth. That has a future aspect, but it has a present day aspect as well, according to 1 Peter. Lastly, in Revelation chapter 20, verse 6, again, he mentions this priesthood. Blessed is he who has part. Revelation 20, verse 6. Blessed is he, blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with Him a thousand years. The Scripture affirms what we see in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, verse 9. The Scripture affirms that. What we see in Revelation chapter 1, chapter 5, chapter 20 affirms the priesthood of the believer. You've got to really twist the scripture if you deny the fact that you have uh, that you have direct access to God. If someone tells you that a man, a woman or whatever has to mediate your presence to God or has to give you some as they call it a sacrament in order for you to get before God, well, they, they are violating what the Scripture teaches. Not only is it affirmed directly in the Scripture, but in function we are taught about this priesthood. Remember Romans 12, verse 1? Paul, writing to these Roman Christians, says, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present yourself as a living sacrifice. That is part of the priestly function. We'll get back to that in a moment for our responsibility. Revelation, or Romans 12, verse 1. Romans chapter 15, verses 14 through 16 as well talk about our uh, uh, function as a priest before the Lord. Romans 15, verse 14. Now I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Nevertheless, brethren, I've written more boldly to you on some points as reminding you because of the grace given to me by God that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God and, the, and that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, 
sanctified or set apart by the Holy Spirit. Here in function, he's talking about these Gentile believers that sacrifice, that gave an offering of themselves and from themselves. Hebrews chapter 13 is a passage that I'm going to reference a couple of more times. But again, Hebrews 13 speaks of that function as a priest. Hebrews 13 verses 14 or excuse me, 15 and 16. Hebrews 13, verse 15. Therefore by Him, let us continually offer the sacrifices, or excuse me, the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. But do not forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. He's speaking about our priestly function of offering sacrifices. So the role of the believer priest is affirmed directly in the Scripture and it is affirmed in function as we see in in Hebrews and in Romans uh, in addition to these direct affirmations. uh, The name priest should never be given to a Clergyman. By the way, that whole concept of, of separation, that you have the clergy and the laity. I understand what's often meant by that, but in many instances it's as though the clergy is that intermediary source that, that mediates Christ to the laity. Well, maybe that was the deeds of the Nicolaitans that, that uh, the Lord spoke of and that He hated in, in uh, the book of the Revelation. But the role of the priest. All of us are actually priests. If you're a child of God, been born again, you are a priest before God. You serve in that. Faith is not monopolized by the experts. Phrases like, he's got more faith than I do. Or statements that somehow or another um, harm the priesthood of the believer. You, my uh, brother or sister in Christ, you have the same Access to God that any minister, any vocational preacher, teacher has, any child of God. We have direct access. Everyone has a part to play in the worship of Christ, in the life of the church. That's the priesthood of the believer. And we are to do what? What's our responsibility? We've seen the role, now the responsibility of priests. What's our responsibility? Verse 5 of 1 Peter chapter 2 says that we are to offer up spiritual sacrifices. See the imagery of the priesthood? To offer up spiritual sacrifices. I want to go back to that Hebrews passage, chapter 13, and verses 15 and 16, and speak about these sacrifices. I think here is a good cross-section, if you will, or microcosm of these sacrifices. What are we to offer? Hebrews 13, verse 15 again. Therefore, by Him, that is by Christ, let us continually offer what? The sacrifice of praise to God. Are you offering Him praise? Praise for redeeming you? Praise for saving you? Folks, you know the difference between genuine praise and 
and, and, and faults. I'm not talking about highly emotional, although it may make us emotional. When I think about the fact that I was a lost sinner deserving of hell for eternity and separation from God and eternal condemnation, eternal punishment, and that Jesus, because not I, that I was good or that I've been good or the promise to be good, but Jesus of His own volition and mercy and grace saved me, did the work for me on the cross of Calvary. Does that not elicit praise in a child of God? Does that not stir your heart in some way? Offer unto Him the sacrifice of praise continually, not just on Hallelujah Sunday once a year, we often act like we're baptized in pickle juice and that somehow or another it's infected every pore of our body. And therefore, we can't be thankful, praising Him, giving honor to God. And folks, don't if you can't back it up with a life of praise, don't give it with a lip of praise. That's hypocritical. Back it up with a life of praise as well. Motivated by Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit, the sacrifice of praise. But what else? Uh, verse 15, uh, let him continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God, that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Look at verse 16, but do not forget to do good and to share. Praise and pocketbook. That bothers some folks. I'm convinced that the number one altar of idolatry that exists in many of our homes, if not most of our homes, is mammon, materialism, money, living for it. It doesn't mean we need to be foolish. I'm not, again, don't, don't misunderstand me. I believe in f- sound financial principles and, and all of those things. But why should we work? Why should we, why should we want to have possessions or money? Verse 16, to share, to do good. That's the biblical principle. That's what any sound Christian uh, uh, financial counselor would tell you. It's so that you can bless others. We've had a tremendous privilege of being able to help someone that came into our midst just by, by, by a miracle of God and, and to help them to get on their feet. Some of you have been part and party to that and praise the Lord for that. And we saw last Sunday as, as somebody of a total different culture, total different background that suffered the adversity of, uh, of incar- incarceration and what many believe wrongful incarceration. And yet he comes with a bunch of white folks that will love on him and care for him. And he says he wants to work so that he can turn around and do for others what have been, has been done to him. And folks, I don't, I've, been, I've been hoodwinked before. I don't think it's a joke with him. Some of you would say the same thing. He's not just saying that. He wants to live it. God help us to be a body of people like that. If you've got a problem uh, over this issue, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not big and bad or anything like that, but I'd love to talk with you about it pocketbook. Give of ourselves to help others, he says. Do not forget to do good and to share. Spiritual sacrifices. What else? Well, he says in verse 16, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. Well, the highest sacrifice that you can offer is yourself, your person. Praise pocketbook in person. Your, yourself. Yourself. 
going back to Romans 12 and verse 1, that we offer ourselves a living sacrifice. A lot of us will raise our hand and say, yes, I'm ready to die for Christ. But not many are raising their hand to say, I'm ready to live for Him. We may not all be raptured out of this, this old earth before America gets kind of messed up worse than we see it. We may live through that. Are we willing to live for Him? Some have let just a virus tear them away from the Lord's church. Now, I'm not for being foolish, and again, I'm not whipping people that, that want to stay healthy and some that, that it could be the way they exit this world. But God help us that we offer ourselves a living sacrifice. Someone said the problem with a living sacrifice is that they can get up off of the altar. They're still alive. And that's what a lot of us have done. We said, Lord, I offer myself as a living sacrifice. Then the next day rolls around and says, I'll be back. We get off the altar. You see, that's what the altars of the Old Testament were for. Were for sacrifice. Spiritual service unto the Lord. Romans 12, you're acceptable. Is your spiritual sacrifice acceptable unto Him? As spiritual priests, we have the privilege of offering up our lives, not as a dead sacrifice, but as a living sacrifice. How are you doing that? The end of verse uh, 1 of Romans 12 says, Which is your spiritual service of worship? Modern translation. Your only logical act of worship. So, direct access to God. Serve God personally. Ministering to other people. Helping others. Giving of ourselves. In the Old Testament, God called a certain group of men called the Levites to be the priest. And among them, there was only one that was the high priest. And he could only go into the Holy of Holies one day a year. And he had to be clean himself. They tied a rope around his ankle and had bells on his robe so that if they didn't hear it and thought maybe he had died because God had killed him, that he was unholy before a holy God, they could drag him out without having to go, without having to go in. You see, God takes holiness seriously. And one day a year, only one could go into what was pictured as the presence of God. But we, because of Calvary, thanks to Calvary, because of Jesus Christ's death on the cross, He tore that veil. His burial, His resurrection, He secured all the rights for us to have direct access to Holy God. What a joy, what a privilege. And now we serve in a priestly function intermediary wrote. I, I worked on that verse, that word uh, a lot last night and getting my wife to help me to make because my tongue gets tangled and I'm missing more teeth than I have. And so you know how that, that those, some of you know more than I do. Well, what Peter says, the Old Testament system, and he's using that as the backdrop to explain this doctrine, this teaching that is so important. The Old Testament system sent out a message that it was not easy to approach God. One man, only one day a year. And he better be right. But Peter says, that's all changed. Now that Christ has died, His incorruptible blood was shed upon the cross of Calvary. He was buried and raised the third day. And we who are born again have access to God, direct access to Him. In the Old Testament, they had a priesthood. In the New Testament, we are a priesthood. 
Thanks be unto God that we have access to God not one day a year, but every minute of every day of every year. These sacrifices that we offer to Him, our bodies, our praise, our good works, our witness, our prayers, these are Jesus wants us to use that to be the bridge builders. That's what a priest thought of himself. And even today, the uh, Romanism priests uh, think of themselves. that They might bridge the gap. We have that privilege. Bridging the gap. Uh, Jesus has made a way and we have direct access to the Father and we're pointing others to Him. But what is, my last point and quickly this morning, what is the result of this ministry of priesthood that we are given? Look at verse 7 of 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter 2 verse 7. Therefore to you who believe He is precious. As we serve in this capacity, this Function, carrying out these responsibilities, Jesus becomes more and more and more precious to us. Is He precious to you? When Martin Luther instigated or began that great discussion that eventually led to the Protestant Reformation, he was castigated. He was sought after. He was uh, uh, at times temporarily imprisoned, but he was, he was a threatened man because of a precious teaching. Not just the priesthood of the believer, but certainly a part of those questions that he had. Folks, if you know Christ, He should be coming ever more precious to you day by day. And the way that takes place, welcome to the priesthood. Function in that role. Understand what He's called you to be. Again, what is it? A spiritual house being built up. A spiritual house. A holy priesthood. He says in verse 9, a royal priesthood. That speaks of the king-priestly relationship. Points back to Melchizedek's priesthood and our Savior, the high priest's priesthood. Do you understand your role your responsibility? Does it result in Him being more and more and more precious to you? Let's pray. Precious Father, we thank You for the teaching of Your Word and how we desire to fulfill every function that You've called us to fulfill. Thank You. We don't have to come in prayer through someone else. Thank You that Years ago, the issue of of the Scripture uh, was put into the common language so the common man could study it for himself. We don't have to wait on somebody else to tell us what the Scripture says. Thank you, Father, for this direct access and for the spiritual services that we are to offer unto you. May you move us to be the priesthood that you want us to be to go forward for your honor and your glory and for us to be able to say, He is so precious to me. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.